We're going to be in Luke just for a, so we're going to be in Luke 2 just for a moment. And I, I really want to talk to you about this. And Luke 2 is the classic scripture, the birth of Christ. If you've ever been to church one time at Christmas, around that time, you've heard Luke 2. You know, families get together and they'll read uh, the second chapter of Luke. It's the birth of Jesus. And I want to read this to you real quick, and then I'm just going to move on from there. Um, it says, the birth of Jesus Christ. And in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, when I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name, whatever that guy's name was, governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So I'm not going to continue on with the rest of the story. A lot of you guys, I want you to just read this this week. It's, there's uh, verses 8 through 21. And that's, and that's a quick story. But a lot of times we read Luke 2 as the Christmas story and then we move on. But when I, I was really looking into it, I started listening to some things, and we look at Luke 2, but we should probably, we need to start looking at Matthew 2 also. Matthew 2 is, is kind of a, a, the forgotten scripture when it comes to the Christmas season and when it comes to the birth of Jesus. And so it says, the visit of the wise men in Matthew 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and in Judea in the day of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? So we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we look at the history to following Jesus. Um, these men, if you look at the word magi, um, if you look at that, a lot of them, you know, you hear the song, We Three Kings. Um, and that's kind of a representation of it. And, and there's really a, a, not a, a, a rock-solid um, term of what they were. Some say kings, some say wise men. Um, a lot of scholars say that they were probably from um, Iran, where when Daniel was captured and taken into um, captivity with Nebuchadnezzar, they were probably from there because da uh, Daniel, after all the things he went through, became the head of, um, basically, it, it, Nebuchadnezzar called them magicians, but they weren't magicians. Um, they were wise men who had uh, wisdom in other languages and other beliefs and different things like that. And Daniel became the head of them. And if you look at that, they came from, they came from the east to Jerusalem to find Jesus. And so we look at that, and they were probably educated throughout the years of what Daniel had spoken in the in in what he had taught those people throughout those generations. And so the wise men are referred to as magi, but um, they saw the star from the east and followed it west to um, Israel to find who they were. So coming from Iran, this is not just a quick trip. You know, you're on camel or horse or whatever. This is not just a quick trip. This is, this is months, weeks to get to where they were traveling. And so this star 
you know, a lot of people are like, well, they came and they saw baby Jesus and he was in the manger. And we always have the little nativity scenes that we played with when we were kids. And there's the shepherds, there's the angel above, and then there's the wise men. And um, if you were like me, we used to make, put G.I. Joes in there every now and then, the little, little G.I. Joes when we were little kids. My mom would set up the nativity scene. Me and my brother would like put a little G.I. Joe up there hiding in the, hiding up in the little loft or something like that. Um, but there was always the, the shepherds, the wise men, baby Jesus, you know, and you always had the little farm animals and stuff like that. But if they saw the star in the east and followed it, or saw the star in the west and followed it from the east, they, they say it's very unlikely that they showed up when Jesus was still in the manger. They, they think that he sh- they showed up when he was about two years old. So when, so Jesus, when he's born, if you read Luke 2, what happens is, is this, is um, Jesus is born, the, the uh, shepherds come and they worship him, and then they go out and tell everybody about him. And what happens after that is Joseph has a dream. And what does he do? He, God, the angel comes to Joseph and says, take your son to Egypt. So they take him to Egypt till he's almost two, and then they come back. So they're thinking that the, the wise men followed this star from the moment they saw it when Jesus was born, not before Jesus was born, but they saw him, they saw the star after he was born, the star shone where he was, and they followed it. And so they followed it to him. So they, they, they really think that when they showed up to offer these gifts, these, these gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh, that he was almost two years old at that moment. So the, these men didn't just like, oh, hey, there's a star. He's born. Pick up, pick up, drive over and say, hey, there's baby Jesus. Worship him real quick and then head back. This was uh, months of journeying and finding where he was. They didn't, they, they, they gave up their position, their whatever they had in the, in the kingdoms that they were at to f- travel and find out who he was and to, to worship him. And so, but these, these, um, these magi, these wise men, per se, if you look at Numbers 24, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, uh, Numbers 24, and this is a prophecy. It says, I see him, but at a later time. I will recognize him, even though he is far away. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It will break Moab and tear down the people of Seth. So, okay, if, to give you a little backstory on this, this is Numbers 24. This is... Um, See, this it would be about a thousand years before Jesus was born, and um, there's a, a a man. He's kind of a prophet, and he's paid by the king of Moab to put a curse on the Israelites. His name is Balaam. You guys ever read this story? It's really it's really kind of a cool story. It's really kind of neat. Donkey talks to him. Super, it'd be super weird. Um, you know, you're just walking along and then uh, your donkey says something to you. Um, but he is on his way to put a curse on the Israelites for this king who had paid him to do this. And he's riding along with his donkey and he can't see it, but an angel of the Lord is standing in front of his path and, and the donkey won't go and he keeps trying to get the donkey to go. Finally, the donkey speaks to him. If the Lord has to use a donkey to speak to you, Who's the donkey? I mean, really, come on. Um, but Balaam, who was sent to put a curse on there, but God gave him a prophecy that a star would rise out of Jerusalem. He prophesied about the birth of Jesus and the star that the wise men would follow a thousand years later. And we look at, we look at that and it says, I see him, but I don't 
but at a later time. I re- I'll recognize him even though he is far away. So the, these, this star, he was foretelling this star would be shining so the, the men from the east would be able to follow this and to recognize who Jesus was and to, and to worship him. You know, these, these wise men, they followed the star to Jesus before he was even born because they, are, they were getting ready to follow the star because they knew what was coming. They, were, they, they knew this prophecy. They knew these things. It wasn't just like, hey, there's a star. Let's go look for it. What is this? They knew of these prophecies. They knew of what was being foretold and they believed what was going and they, they wanted to come and worship the king. So they followed this star they knew what they were doing. They were giving up their, their wealth. They were giving up. Th- and this is not a quick trip. It's not, okay, I'll be back in a week. I've got to go meet this baby, and I'll be back. It was, it was I'm giving up my position. I'm giving up my, um, my wealth, my status, everything in the, in the areas I'm at to go follow this star. Can you imagine sitting around the coffee, t- coffee drinking coffee at the table, and you like see a star, and like, hey, just let you know, I'm not going to see you for a while. I'm just going to go find out what that is. And you're just sitting around with some friends and they're like, what, what are you doing? Because something inside of them, what they had been told, what they had read, the, the, they knew what was coming because they had read the different prophecies even be, before and after this of what was coming to earth. So they follow this star and they gave up everything to follow this star. They brought gifts that probably at that point when they came, they had to give up. They, that was giving of the, what they had left of their wealth or a part of their wealth. And they followed because they knew there was something valuable to where they, the destination they were going. They, they followed Jesus or followed the star because they knew what was going, what was going to happen. It was they were going to meet Jesus. They were going to see the king of the Jews. They were going to see the one who would set his people free. And, and it wasn't just like, oh, we're just going to go look at him and say hi. They worshipped him because they knew who he was. They had faith in who he was. And, and if you really think about these men who have no tie to um, Jesus, they have no, um, they're probably not Jewish. They're probably not, they, they, may have, they may be distant relatives of Jewish people from when Daniel was captured and taken into captivity, but they had been for, they had been told about this for generations. So in our culture, we just write things down and we take a selfie, and that's how we we capture a moment. And um, I was saying to one of the boys today, I'm like, um, people a hundred years from now are going to find one of our phones and they're turning on me like, why are these people t- taking so many pictures of themselves? Like, are they just obsessed with themselves? And um, but. In a lot of older cultures, um, especially in Africa, they didn't write things down. They had spoke, they, they, they would recite things. Like in Jewish culture, you wrote things down. They would practice writing things down. But in a lot of other cultures, they wouldn't write things down. They would recite. They would memorize and, and, and recite. So you would, you would learn something. Your parents would teach you something. Say you went to a, a a church or whatever, they would recite something. And what would happen is in your home, you would learn that too. And then when you had children, you would say that you would recite that to them and that your parents would recite that to them. And it was a constant passing on of what it was. So scripture, a lot of times in other countries was just memorized or 
remembered and then told as a story or as um, a passing on of scripture to them. So these people probably didn't have a written, didn't have the written um, book of numbers. They were being told of what was happening because of generation after generation passing it on to understand who Jesus was and what was coming for the Jewish people. So they gave up everything to follow a star because they knew the, the importance of it. But then if you look at Matthew 4, we'll start in verse 18. And this is where Jesus calls his first disciples. While walking in the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So that's quite a, a, quite a, a large thing to take in. If you look, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he just stops these two, and he's like, hey, follow me. And they immediately just stop everything they're doing. So just imagine this. You're out and in, in modern day. You're out and you're working on a roof. You've got two sons and you're working on a roof. You're putting shingles up and a man walks by and says, hey, follow me. And your sons just drop their hammers, take the tool belts off, leave it there. And you're just sitting on the roof and you watch your two sons leave. <laughs> and in modern times, just think about it. That, that, you'd be like, what in the heck? And then a couple minutes later, two other brothers just drop what they're doing. It's like, see you, Dad. Now raking the lawn, and Jesus is like, hey, follow me. Throw the rakes down, gets off the mower, and just walks away. It, 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 it put it in modern terms, that's, it, that's what it was. You know, and it, it was such a huge thing. They literally left everything they knew because they weren't able to become priests. They weren't able to be temple workers because they were uneducated. They either weren't able to get into schooling to become a priest or they were not able to pass the qualifications or the, the, um, the learning part of it. So they were rejected from that. But Jesus walks up and says, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they literally drop everything they're doing. Their livelihood, their inheritance, everything. They left everything to follow Jesus. And it's like, holy cow. You, they literally left because here in our culture, we don't have businesses a lot of times that pass on from generation to generation. You work a job and then your, your kid works a different job. Then it was, your family was a carpenter. They were fishermen. They were, you know, they were um, whatever. They, they, they had a certain job and that's what from generation to generation they would do. If you look at the prodigal son, he, the father was a landowner. And he probably had vineyards and he had fields and stuff like that. And the prodigal son would work his dad's, the two, his two sons would work his property. And so it was a continual thing of, of inheritance passed on from business. Would, the sons would take over and their sons would take over. And it would be generations of business owners in doing the same thing. Because that's what, you were call, that's what you would do. If you weren't this, you were this. And so Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And they drop their nets. They drop fishing. They stop doing whatever they're doing. And they follow him. And they literally, can you imagine the look on their dad's face like, what the heck did you just do? Like, it, it would, 
be shocking to the, the fathers. But Jesus walked along the sea and he just said, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he just keeps doing that and he keeps going to, to these men and he says, follow me, follow me. He goes to Matthew, who's a tax collector. You don't, if, okay, if you don't like the IRS, can you imagine being a tax collector? So you think you take a lot out of your paycheck now. So uh, tax collectors, Jesus goes to a tax collector, says, follow me. That's, that, that for the whole cultural stigma. So tax collectors were, would do this. They would, first of all, because they're under Roman rule, they would take the Roman amount that the Rome, Romans said you have to do, and then they would say, oh, by the way, then they would add their percentage on. So any goods coming in or out of the town, there would be a tax collector sitting there. And it wasn't just some nice guy saying, hey, give me your money. This was a guy that probably had a couple dudes that were a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, would say, pay him. So the, 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 he, kind of a gangster. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't, but he was enforcing Roman rule. And if they didn't pay, he's like, oh, by the way, he'd go to the Roman officials say, this guy, this guy, this guy didn't pay, and they'd go get their money. And so this guy had a huge stigma. They hated the tax collectors. Tax collectors were thought of as the lowest of the low because they were get, they, what they had done is betrayed their own people to serve the Romans. And, but Jesus goes, hey, um, follow me. Can you imagine being in that crowd? Be like, why did he choose that guy? Why did he choose this guy who, who steals from us? You guys have read the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus goes to him and says, hey, I want to have lunch with you. I want to have dinner with you. Let, let, let's sit down and let's, let's talk. That was a stigma right there. Jesus didn't look for people who had any kind of wealth and means and any kind of well-to-do. Anybody that had influence. He didn't look for people of influence. He didn't go to the rich rulers and say, hey, I need you to start preaching for me. I need you to follow me. He went to the people that had no influence and what he did is he said, let, follow me, and you will change the way people think. Follow me and the, your lives will change. So Jesus calls his disciples, and he keeps calling these men, and he keeps calling these men. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus says, okay, so you want to be a disciple. You want to be a disciple of me. If you want to follow me, this is what you have to do. Then Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for, for my sake will find it. For what will a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Some say, in some translations, it's forfeits. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father. And when and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus says, hey, you're going to follow me. There's a few things that have to be done to follow me. You know, we, we look at to, to give up everything takes some ded dedication. To give up everything you know, to give up everything that you've had, and to follow Jesus takes up some, takes some dedication. But Jesus says, hey, it's going to take up, you're going to have to take up your cross, you're going to have to lay down your life to gain it. And, and I look at the, the wise men, they, they laid down everything they had to follow something that 
they knew was going that was going to be good but jesus says hey i'll make you fishers of men but you're gonna have to lay down your life something has to be given up in order to be a follower of jesus something has to be laid down in order to be able to pick up something that god is going to give you you know, I think in our, in our culture, we, we have a, a, a very huge culture of busyness. If you're busy, that means you're important. I'm just really busy. I got things to do. Okay. Um, but it, it, it's like the busier you are, it makes you, it, I think in our culture, the busier you get, it, it distracts us from the things that we, we should be focusing on and the things we don't want to focus on. Instead of, instead of saying, you know, I really need to focus on this. Like, oh, I just got things to do. I got, I got to take care of this and I, I should take care of this. And Jesus is like, just lay that down and pick up what I have to give you. And so for us, the kingdom of God is, is like this. To follow Jesus, I have to lay my life down. What I want to do, what my desires are, what my dreams are. And... and and uh, that sounds really, really harsh sometimes. And it's like, I really don't want to lay down my, my, all my, everything I want to do. But the great thing about God is, is this, is when you lay your life down, he starts to, let's say it this way. When you lay your life down, he starts to take the things you've laid down and he starts to put them back into your life. Instead of saying, well, I got to lay it down and now my life is just miserable. And I'm going to be, you know, we take these if you look at a lot of um, a lot of the uh, old writings of the church and everything like that, people would take a vow of poverty and they would take a vow of this because it was what made them holy. It was like, this is my thing for God. And that was what they had to do. But a lot of people are like, well, I just, you know, if I'm a Christian, I just can't have money. I just got to be poor. And it's like, mm, no, um, that's not true. Um, but we think, oh, I have to lay everything down because I don't, anything I want to do, if I'm going to, I can't make money, I can't, I can't have a nice house, I can't have a nice life, I can't, because I just got to serve God. That's not true. What happens is when we lay our, our, our dreams, our hopes, and everything, we say, okay, I'm going to follow you, and you give them to Jesus. He doesn't say, oh yeah, throw them in the trash. Here, this is what I'm going to give you. No, he says, you lay your life down for me, you give me your life. I'm going to hold on to those things, those dreams you have, those hopes you have, those plans you have, and I'm going to uh, disperse them back into your life. Jesus, he doesn't, you know, if you have a dream to, to be a business owner, God's not going to be like, ah, oh, nope, just throw it away. He's going to say, oh, let me hold on to that. Let me, let me hold on to it. Let me work what I need to work into it so then I can give that back to you at the proper time to put into your life when you want, when it's needed. Sometimes our wants aren't what our needs are. He knows what our needs are, and sometimes we have to lay down our wants so he can give us what we need. But that comes with following Jesus. Sometimes it's, it's not comfortable to follow God. Sometimes it's not convenient. Sometimes you don't have the time to follow God. Sometimes you don't have the patience to follow God. But he never said it was going to be comfortable. He never said it's going to be easy. He never said it's going to be convenient and on this, you know, from this time to this time, you can really do that. It doesn't work that way. When you follow God, it's on the most inconvenient times sometimes, and it's at 3 a.m. 
and it's not when you expect it, and it's not how you want it to be, but it happens, and, you, and you, at the end of it, you're like, that was God working. That was God doing this, and it's, it wasn't convenient, and it wasn't when I wanted it, but God moved, and God worked, and something good came out of it, and that's, that's what following God is. It's not just like, oh, I follow God, and I read my Bible, and I go to church, and I say, oh, yep, I've got a Bible, and but I do everything else. There's nothing. Something has to be given away in order to receive Christ. There has to be, for us to take and put Christ in our life, something has to be removed from our life so Christ can come into our life. We can't just say, I'm going to take and keep, hold on to everything I have, and then I'm going to accept Christ in my life. Well, he's standing on the outside while everything else is taking that room. And you're like, well, yeah, when I need you, I'll let you in. I'll move, I'll move some things around. I'll declutter some things to let you into my life. No, he, he's like, I want to be in your life. Let me have full control of your life. Let me be in, take, uh, let me have 360 in your life and we'll start to, to take, we'll clean it out. So uh, before you, we were saved, if you accepted Jesus into your heart, before we were saved, we're like hoarders. We have our emotions that we hoard. We have our anger that we hoard. And what Jesus does is he comes in and he says, oh, by the way, this little compartment that you've been hoarding everything in, I'm going to clean it out. Uh. And so for some of you, you're all like white knuckling your chair right now. You're like, I got my stuff. I got to hold on to it. Um, but Jesus cleans it out and he says, let's just get it all out. Let's clean it all. Let me be in here. And then I'm going to start filling where, what needs to be in here. As you follow me, I'm going to start depositing things into your heart that need to be in here. All the stuff that I cleaned out, we got a dumpster. We're going to get rid of some of that stuff. But let me take the pieces that need to be put back in there. Let me fill the areas that you thought that this would fill the void. Let me fill the void with this. Where you thought anger would take care of the hurt that you have, let me fill it with peace and then joy so the anger goes away. Let me take it so the, the, the hurt goes away. So he said, follow me. Has to, you, have to, you have to clean something out. You have to lay something down in order for me to come in. If you're going to follow me, you have to allow me to start to lead you. You have to allow me to start to guide you. One of the, the, the hardest stories in the Bible for me to read is in Mark 10. And this is like very, it's cringeworthy. Because I've been there. I think everybody's been there in their walk. It's Mark 10, (coughs) verses 17. And I'm going to read you from, I've been reading out of the um, ESV, but I'm going to read you from the uh, Passion Translation. And it says this, it says, And Jesus started on his way. A man came running up to him, kneeling down in front of him. He cried out, Good teacher, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus responded, Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You already know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give a false testimony, do not cheat, and honor your father and mother. Man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have carefully obeyed those laws since my youth. Jesus fixed his gaze upon the young man, and in tender love he said to him, there, Yet there is still one thing you are lacking. Go and sell what you have, give all your money to the poor, then all of your treasure will be in heaven. After you have done this, come back and walk with me. Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. 
Jesus looked at the faces of the disciples and he said, it is hard for the wealthy to enter the God's kingdom. The disciples were startled when they heard this, but Jesus said, children, it is next to impossible for those who trust in their riches to find their way into God's kingdom. It is easier to stuff a rope through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of God. But this left them all more astonished, and they whispered to one another, then who could ever be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with people it is impossible, but with God, God makes all things possible. I think we've all been in that guy's shoes. You, you go to God and you're like, God, what, you want, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do I need to do? And God's like, I want you to do this. And you're like, God, I can't do that. I like this translation because in our culture, people like to, to take this scripture. See, well, if you have money, you can't go to heaven. No, I said, what did he say? He says, is next to impossible for those who trust in their money, trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the young man loved God. He loved Jesus. He obeyed everything, but his money was, his, his riches were his plan B. Just in case it doesn't work out, I'm going to fall back. I have this. And I think so many times we always have plan B with God. It's like, he's like, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, but I got this in my back pocket just in case. I turned that off. No, I didn't turn it off. I'm good. I got that in my back pocket just in case it doesn't work out. Just in case it doesn't go the way I wanted it to go. I have plan B. And for this young man, it was his money. He loved God. He loved Jesus. He said, I do this, I've done this, I've done this, I followed you. And Jesus is like, you're doing everything right. But there's one more thing I'm asking you to do. And I think sometimes in our lives we're just like, yes, God, yes. And then we're like, yeah, this is going great, God. And then he's like, oh, by the way, I need you to do this one thing. I need you to lay this down. I need you to give this up. I need you to be this way. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. The bitterness is there. The anger is there. The, the love for something else is there. And he's just like, but lay it down and follow me. He told the, the young guy, give up what you have to follow me. How many more people did Jesus say, follow me to? But they said, well, I'd like to, but the football game's on at noon and I got to watch the pregame show at 1130. And um, I would like to, but if you had anything else besides Sunday, I'd be okay with that. Or, hey, my day off is this day. Or, hey, it's not convenient for me to talk to the people at work because I made a fool of myself earlier and now you're asking me to, to do this. You know, Jesus, I, I, Jordan and I were having this conversation a couple, uh, maybe a week ago. With, uh, if Jesus said, follow me, how many more people said, yeah, I, I would like to, but I really got this going on. Really won't fit into my schedule. Really can't give that up. How many people just said, nah, I'm good. I'll just talk about you like I know you, but my life won't show you. 
How many, how many people are like, yeah, no, I'll just follow you when you come into my area. When you hear, I'll hear you preach. I'll, hear you, I'll see you heal the lepers. And I'll talk about you, but I'm not willing to follow you. I'm not willing to give up what I have to follow you. And then, uh, you guys want to turn to Luke 9. This is, Luke nine fifty seven through 62, and it says this. It says, the cost of following Jesus. <coughs> As they were going the, down the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as you go, proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you. But the Lord said to him, first say farewell to, that, to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So common misconception is, hey, I need to go bury my dad. It, it, the, the man's father wasn't dead. He was getting, he, was become, he has become elderly and he's like, hey, as soon as my dad dies, I'll bury him. Uh, then I'll follow you. But I've got I've to uh, wait until my, my father passes. And, and it, it might not have been, you know, may not have been sick. It might have been, hey, in a year, he's probably not going to be around. So let me bury him and then I'll follow you. You know, common misconception is, is that people are like, well, his dad was dead. Let him bury him. It's only going to take a little while, and then he'll, you know, move on. No, it wasn't. The man's like, hey, my dad's old. I got to watch after him, and I got to watch after the family uh, property and the business, and, and let, me, let me do that, and then I'll follow you. What people didn't understand is, is Jesus knew his time. Jesus knew he had three years from the age of 30 to 33 he ministered. And they're like, hey, and Jesus, in two and a half years, I'll follow you. And Jesus is like, it'll be too late. The cost of following Jesus is not always convenient. Those wise men laid down what they had to follow Jesus, to follow that star, to find Jesus. Because they knew the value of who he was. And I think sometimes we forget the value of who he is. We, we look at Jesus and say, oh, you're always there now. You're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. And that's true. And we take that for granted sometimes. And, and it's like, he asked you to follow him. He's asked you, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. It's like, well, you know, I kind of got this thing going on right now. And once I get that cleaned up, let me clean my mess up, and then I'll follow you. You know, a lot of people gave up everything to follow Jesus. The disciples gave up every livelihood they had to follow Jesus. They gave up their lives to follow Jesus. They literally gave their lives to follow Jesus. And I think Jesus is just 
you know, Jesus stands at the door and he, it says Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. He's just, he, he knocks at the door. And, and I think when he stands at the door and knocks, he, just, he, he knocks on the door and he waits for us to open it. And this, in our lives, we, we have, there's like two doors. We always have that backup plan door. Like if door A doesn't work, door B is going to be better. You know what I mean? We, we, always, it, it, we always have that mindset of if this doesn't work out, I've always got this as a backup. And Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and he knocks. And I think he just knocks. He says, hey, can I come in? Let me come in and let me make you a fisher of men. Here's, the disciples, when they, when they met Jesus and he said, hey, let me make you a fisher of men, they dropped everything. They believed in who he was. There was something in their spirit that knew who Jesus was. They're like, wait a minute. There's something different about him. There's something that I've never seen in another person from him. But they laid it down at a cost. And I think as, our, as we move into our, as our relationship with our Savior grows, we have to say, okay, God, you stand at the door and you knock. It's a daily thing. He doesn't just knock on the door once and say, oh, let me in, and then it's done. Every day, Jesus stands at our heart and says, hey, am I coming in today? Are you going to open up? to me today? Are you going to let me in today? Are we going to have fellowship today? And sometimes our heart, uh, that door is like, working on something right now, talk to you later, click, and you shut the door. And you're like, I got to take care of this, and then I'll, then I'll repent for it later. Um, but he stands at the door, and he's just like, knocks, says, let me in. Let me come in. Let me, let me have a conversation with you. And I'll show you that following me isn't as hard as it th- you think it is. Let me show you that when you let me in, I clean it out, I'm going to give it back to you. It may not be what you expected it to be. It's going to be better than what you expected it to be. Sometimes when we, let, we want Jesus to come in, but we're like, oh, Jesus, come in, but let me hold on to this. Let me follow you with this. And she's like, I, you can't follow me with this. I'm on a pace, and if you keep carrying this, and you keep holding on to this, let me hold on to this, and I'll follow you. He's like, you won't be able to keep up with me. Lay it down, let him come in. When he says, follow me, it should be like, okay, what do you need me to do? What, like, if Jesus come up, came up to me and he'd be like, follow me, I'd be like, what do I need to do? Like, what do you want me to do? What, what is the requirements for doing this? He'd be like, just come follow me. Give up what you have. And it would, I would kind of, you know, in my mind, because I, I tend to think things out a little bit too much sometimes, I'd be like, is this going to be fun? <laughs> you know, if, if, you know that those, the people that he asked had questions. Matthew was probably like, can I still make money doing this? Jesus is like, no, give it up. You know Matthew was like, yeah, I'm going to make money. He's like, and then Jesus is like, Matthew's probably getting ready to go into, sitting at his little booth, like pay, pay. Jesus is like, hey, follow me. 
Okay. Can I still do this? She's like, no, follow me. Lay down what you have and follow me. The cost of laying it down is worth what you will gain. Let's pray.